Good evening, church. Healthy from the inside out. 3 John chapter 2, 3 John rather, verse 2. Beloved, I pray that in all respects you may prosper and be in good health, just as your soul prospers. Last week, by way of introduction, we started this, what's going to be a little series here, and but the importance of understanding of what do the, the words mean? What does it mean to be in good health? Everybody's got a different standard of that. My doctor has a different standard of good health than mine. I can't quite make him understand it my way because he insists on putting me on those lying scales that he has. You heard what I said right there. Those lying scales that he has that I know those bad boys are off at least a good 10. Recalibrates what I'm talking about. I mean, I got mine at home in the bathroom. I got mine notched down 10, you know. I'm just allowing for some water weight and all of this. You with me? But my doctor gives me no allowance for that. That and the 15-pound shoes that I'm wearing. But nevertheless... I think that we need, to, we, we need to, first of all, define our terms in terms of what does it mean to be in good health? What does the Bible say about that? What does it mean to prosper in our soul? I mean, prosperity, that's something that's very, very popular right now in the church. What does it mean to be prosperous? What are the steps by which, how much money do I have to give to be prosperous? How many seed do I need to plant in order to see them come up tenfold, shaken down? You know what I'm talking about. And then how healthy is healthy? What are your benchmarks for what that looks like? For some of us, it would be just not to hurt anymore. That'd be enough. Come on. Just to get up one day and our body doesn't rebel or our soul doesn't rebel, our emotions are not firing off, stuff's not happening in our head. Just, just If we could just, some silence, just a lack of pain. But how many of you know that Jesus did not just come to be some kind of divine pain analgesic? I mean, we would, many times I think we stop there. That's why we go to life for freedom, you know, make it stop. And that's not a bad place. But I think that there's something beyond that that God has ordered and ordained for your life and for my life. Somebody say amen to that. And we looked last week at what's known as the self-determination theory. It's a theory that was devised back in the 70s by a couple of pretty smart guys. And it's, it's pretty mainstream now. You know, in, in, in the mental health circles. And it holds that for human beings to be content. And I believe that we could substitute very handily the word content, happy, and healthy in the whole. I think these words can be synonymous in our discussion about this. That they need to feel three things. Competent in what they do. They need to feel authentic. And they need to feel connected to others. Now... As I've pondered that a little bit more deeply, I want, to, I want to change the order because I think that one piece leads to another piece leads to another piece. I believe it begins by being authentic. 
Because if you can't be authentic, i.e., you know who you are and who God's designed you to be, there's no way that you can know what you're supposed to be doing. If you don't know what you're supposed to be doing, how are you ever going to be competent doing it? So it has to begin with some understanding of God's unique wiring, the gift mix he's put in each one of us, we've got to, first of all, be authentic before we can begin to understand issues of competency. But then from competency, it's those things that we do that many times bring us to the connectedness. It brings us to community. Birds of a like feather do what? They... Come on. And so many times it's the common interest, the things that one does, that out of our competency, out of our interest, out of our skills, then we begin to find what? Culture. We begin to find community as a result. But I want to begin with this point of authenticity. Authenticity. Norman Nakanishi, who is one of our great pastors in our every nation world, pastors an amazing uh, churches in Hawaii. And I noticed over the past couple of days, he tweeted this. Listen to this. It's tremendous. If you don't know what to do, you may not know who you are. Identity guides ability. The what follows the who. And I thought, Wow, Pastor Norman, he's smart brother. He's, wow, let me read that again. If you don't know what to do, you may not know who you are. Identity guides ability. The what follows the who. Now, there's a lot of emphasis on the what. Go and do. It's a lot of instructions about going and, 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 and doing and being busy and being occupied and, and, and bearing fruit and making disciples. But if you ever, I mean, we, we hear it, we agree with it, but many times something gets lost in translation because we hear all the things that we should do, and yet how many of you know many times there's a tremendous disconnect between who we are and what we do? What, what is the issue there? Now, I know the heart's deceitful and who can understand it. And I know this sin nature that's at work. And I know that we would prefer, you know, to, to celebrate National Donut Day every Friday rather than go to church on Sunday. I got all that. I know the, I know the pressures and influences that are there. But I believe many times it stems, it stems from a deep sense of we really don't know who we are. We don't know how to live an authentic life. C.S. Lewis said it this way, the more we let God take us over, the more truly ourselves we become. He invented all the different people that you and I were intended to be. And I don't believe when C.S. Lewis says all the different people we were intended to be, he was speaking that we should have multiple people working on the inside of us. This is not some, some apologetic for multiple personality disorder. But the more we let God take us over, the more truly ourselves we become. You see, your authenticity can only evolve and emerge as Christ himself 
authenticates you. It's one thing to be authenticated by a spouse or by a parent or teacher or an employer or coach. That's one thing. But it's another thing for Christ to authenticate you. For Christ to say, this is who you are. This is how I created you. And I did not make a mistake. Yes, you were one off. Absolutely. You just flat weird. But you know what? I made you that way. I'm sorry. I said weird and I just my eyes just went right over to Robert. I just don't know what happened there. But there's an an authentication process that occurs. Much like that I can put my finger on my eye device here, and an amazing thing, it recognizes my unique what? Fingerprint, absolutely. Or I can go up to the big machine there, at the, glo- the global entry machine at Dulles Airport, and put my digits down, and all of a sudden it says, you are who you say you are. But let me ask you a question. Who gave you those unique fingerprints? Teacher didn't give you those. Mom and daddy didn't give you those. Those unique fingerprints, not only physically, but I believe emotionally, cognitively, your gift set, every other way, God has given you that uniqueness. And everything in our culture, and I'll get to this in a moment, everything in our culture tries to destroy that uniqueness. It tries to break down that authenticity. I'm getting ahead of myself. Erwin McManus says this in a book called The Artisan Soul. All art is an expression and extension of ourselves. There may be no virtue more admired by those who understand themselves as artists than authenticity. Art finds its deepest value when it's the authentic expression of a deep human experience. Art becomes profound when it exposes us, explains us, or inspires us. And the only art we can create is that which authentically reflects who we are. Our soul is a material for all we create. You see, authentic is not just unique. It's not, you, you can be unique and not be authentic. You ever seen somebody try to be weird? I mean, they're working, I mean, they're just working at it. How many different colors can I change my hair to on a weekly basis to keep my friends guessing? How many weird things can I do in the way that I dress or express myself? How unique can I be? You know what? You can, in the quest to try to be externally unique, you can still lose yourself. It's lost on youth. Your kid's going to school. Oh, I'm unique. Look at me. I'm different. Right. That's why you got to have those $200 kicks so you can be different. You're the only person wearing those. I mean, if you want to be unique, wear a tuxedo to class. (laughs) And being authentic is not a blank check for rebellion. Please don't hear the wrong thing here. It's like, I'm authentic, I'm unique, I'm special. No, you're just rebellious and weird. And a little antisocial, I might add. 
That's not what we're talking about here. We're not talking about something that is in contrast. We're not talking about something that is opposed to that which God has already done. Listen to me. Many times we think this is something God is doing. The reality is God has already done it. We just spend the rest of our life trying to figure out what it is he's done. I wish I could say that again. But many times we think God is writing this thing as we go along. How many of you know that's not what God is doing? He's not like, you ever seen, been in one of these worship services where people are drawing? You ever seen that? Good, I'm glad you haven't. Some of you are not. I mean, it's, it's just weird. I'm, I'm sorry. And I know some people, oh, I'm a worship artist. Good, do it at home. Because it's just, it's just distracting me is all I got to know. I won't do it again. I'm sorry. I, I know it. It's ugly. But God is looking for something that he's already put there. You know, we spend our lives discovering things about God, don't we? And we, were, and we know that we're only going to get about this far with the limitations of human cognition, human expression. I mean, whatever it is, that the, 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 the infiniteness, the eternity, the perfection of God, I mean, it, it doesn't work. It doesn't compute. I mean, we're still trying to run, you know, Windows, whatever it is, XP, and it doesn't work anymore. And yet, we spend our life discovering things about God. Would it not hold to reason that if we are made in the image of God, that there wouldn't be some lifelong discovery of who we are? Are you still figuring things out about yourself? I mean, if you got it all figured out, then come on up, because you've got something to say. I mean, my wife and I, after 38 years of marriage, we're still discovering things about one another. Why? Because we're still figuring ourselves out. You ever gotten to the end of a conversation and thinking, why did I say that? If you're married, you better ask that question a lot. But why, why did I say that? Why did that bother me so much? Have you ever had something happen and it's just like, why did that aggravate me so badly? Wasn't that big a deal? And you're discovering something about yourself all the time. I hope that process is continuing. And it's in this acknowledgement, this inworked and outworked in a healthy way, that we manifest Psalm 139. I praise you because I'm what? Fearfully and wonderfully made. And this is not just an apologetic for right to life. It's not what I, that means. I know we use this for that purpose, but, but, but your works are wonderful. What works are wonderful? You! Do you realize you are God's most wonderful work? Listen to me. He looked around at everything he had done, and he saved the best. of. It's almost like God was warming up for man. Now, we know that that was very anthropomorphic, so don't, don't go too far there. But... It's almost like God saved the very best to the end. Scripture refers to us in one place as his masterpiece. Made in his image. 
fearfully, wonderfully made. Your works are wonderful. I know that. My frame was not hidden from you when I was made in the secret place, when I was woven together in the depths of the earth. This is not speaking of mother's womb. This is talking about something else here. Long before conception took place between your mom and your dad, your eyes saw my unformed body, and all the days ordained were written in your book before one of them came to be. From the beginning, God made them male and female, unique, authentic, individual. God's design is exactly that way. Different animals, different plants, different people. Genesis speaks of various kinds according to its kind. God's verdict upon his creation as to diversity was what? It was very good. Very good. Ezekiel chapter 47, many times we, we focus here, and this is the picture of that river that flows from flows from the altar. And it says that as the, the further away that it flows, the deeper it gets. But it says something amazing here. It says, fruit trees of what? All kinds. All kinds. Guess what? You and I are those trees. Because these trees do what? They bear, come on somebody, fruit. What are we called to bear? Fruit. Showing ourselves to be what? Disciples. And yet it says here, this is a beautiful picture of what it looks like when God's people allow the river of God to rightly flow through their life. There's fruit bearing. It doesn't, it, it doesn't matter what season it is, but it says that these trees were of all kinds. All kinds. My wife is one of these vegetable people. God bless her. We have this little place at the bottom of the mountain. And we have these this couple and they, you know, they, you know, do the organic thing and eggs and they do vegetables and all of this. And my wife's the happiest human being in the world. Just turn her loose in that place where she, oh, this is, oh, this is lovely. Oh, oh, vegetable. Oh, these are in. And I'm just like, I don't care. I mean, as far as I'm concerned, if it's round and comes in a box, it can be called a fruit. You know, I mean, I'm good with that. But my wife, she just, she loves all the diversity of all the things that God has made. But you know, it's an amazing thing. Every one of those fruits, whether it was a pear or peach, an apple, it came from a different tree. Guess what? There's a lot of different trees. And God's not called us to be one tree. He's called us to be multiple trees to bear what? Different fruit. And one of the major attacks of the devil, whether it's through cultural influence and inculcation, is for us to lose that distinctness. Whether it be something even as fundamental as gender identity. So you can't talk about that. Everybody else is. Last I checked, there were over 50 different orientations now have been identified. Over 50. Now, can we talk a moment? Can we, can we talk a moment about authenticity? And I don't want to get too graphic here because otherwise I'll be getting emails. Emails. 
But could I say that this issue is, is an absolute manifestation of what happens when the devil is allowed to rob us of our authenticity? Something as fundamental as gender identity begins to get confused. And the devil is right there to say, oh, I can write on that. Because he is the author of confusion, not clarity. You know that. Whether it's our innate gifting. Whatever is on the inside wanting to come out. The devil is there to try to confuse and to keep it from coming forth. And your divine design is true authenticity. You see, the world's version is always simply a reflection, a redo, a redux, retro, you name it. Trying to figure out some different way that we can package the same Oreo cookie and sell it for something different. You ever seen that? I mean, amazing. Different packages, and, and they do horrible things, you know, like strawberry Oreos, and they, you know, they just don't mess with it. You know, we, we know what God intended for it to be. With the Crisco and the sugar on the inside, we, we not, not, the, not the double stuff. That's not, that's not right for some reason. And so we take something that is inherently perfect in its design. It's a little bit like a whole wheat donut. What's the purpose? I'm sorry. My wife just got real upset. I better move on. But the world, all the world can do is just, it's just a bad copy. Smells like, looks like, sounds like, kind of like. And we're all always referencing back to something else that was Authentic and original in the beginning, but by the time there's a copy of a copy of a copy of a copy, all of a sudden, we can't see the real thing anymore. Could I suggest to you, this is part of the challenge that we have in the church today. Making disciples of who? Not a denomination. Uh-oh. Not a family of churches. Not a man. Not men. Not women. And so by the time that we copy, 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 where is Jesus in all of this? Oh, we may have the walk and the talk, and we may have the secret handshake and the T-shirt, but let me just tell you, many times it's awfully divergent from what this thing is supposed to be all about. I'm in so much trouble. And you see, the world's design is always toward uniformity. Why? Because it's easier to control and cheaper to produce. This is why, we, this is why in the manufacturing process, come on, everything is what? It's uniform. It's the same size. It's all stamped out so it looks exactly like Why? We can control that. But how many of you know that human beings were never designed to be controlled other than by the Spirit of Christ on the inside? And do you realize that God is big enough to allow for the diversity? To allow for the gift set and the mixture? 
without it all having to look alike? Hmm. Easier to control and cheaper to produce. We have to push against this, ladies and gentlemen. Hear me. Because authenticity is going to be costly. And it's going to take courage for you to do it. It's going to cost you something. Etsy. Rather than eBay. The word artisan sounds so artisan for for many husbands. The word artisan just means pricey. Do you artisan just means could not get it at Walmart. So rather than the the Wonder Bread costing a buck, that loaf of bread now costs eight dollars because it's artisan because it's not shaped quite right. You see, every loaf of Wonder Bread looks like it's supposed to. Batter whip, build strong bodies in 12 ways. You understand what I'm saying? Not, it's not real bread, but whatever it is, it all fits on the truck well. It all fits on the shelf well. You, you understand what I'm saying? It's all shaped. It looks alike. And so every peanut butter sandwich looks like every other peanut butter sandwich after it. But you get that weird artisan bread. It's kind of misshapen you know it's just like it's a bad humidity day at the baker and the and you and you and you're trying to slice it and it doesn't fit in the containers right but you see that loaf of bread's a real loaf of bread it's a real thing somebody actually started with real ingredients and real human hands went on it. You, you understand what I'm saying? Something create something was made, was created in that moment. I'm a bread guy as you can tell. I get excited about bread. And yes, expensive artisan bread. And yet it's going to be costly. And it's going to take courage. See, many of us many of us really don't possess the courage to live the life God has designed us to live. Or we just think, I'm just going to find a flow and get in it. And then we wonder why Thoreau said that men live lives of quiet desperation. Emerson or Thoreau, I think it was Thoreau. And so here we go. We just kind of get in the flow of what everybody else is doing. And we, we, pre- we tell our kids, beware of that peer pressure. Beware of that peer pressure. Just say no. We tell our 14-year-olds that. And yet, come on, Mom and Dad. Are you just saying no? Are you jumping off the line and refusing just to be stamped out like the rest of your peers at work? Laughing at the same jokes that you shouldn't be laughing at? Participating in the same things? Because I just don't want to be different. Okay. And I think we're going to step back from this saying and we're going to wonder why we lived our lives less than. Because, see, what many times we think is an issue of ability when in reality it's an issue of permission. What do you mean by that, Pastor Jim? 
We think that many times it's our inability, it's our lack of giftedness, it's our lack of something whereby which we're living substandard lives according to God's design. But could I submit to you that the real issue isn't one of ability, it's one of permission because we feel like somebody hasn't told us, be free to be who you are. Somebody told us in class, sit down and shut up. Don't ask that question here. I mean, the big dialogue among college students now. Have you been reading about this? College used, used to be one of those places where you could go and ask real questions and you could have your mind expanded by hearing. But now students are like, oh, no. Oh, no, that hurt me. That teacher asked a question. I mean, it's nuts. Major universities. The 60K a year schools. And these tender little students are terrified at having their minds and their ideals stretched because it starts us thinking in a dangerous, authentic direction. Who's told you no? And did they have the authority to tell you no? So what are, what are a few factors, and I won't get through this, in discovering and embracing our authenticity. Very first is to accept, accept the distinction and embrace the differences. Distinctives, distinctions are not defective, they're just different. It's a mark of the divine. You see, somewhere because our loaf of bread doesn't look like somebody else's loaf of bread or the way that God's gift is expressed through us. It's not like somebody else is expressing that gift, and somehow it must be defective. I need it to look more like this over here. And so then we begin to morph ourselves to look like some standard that God never intended to be a standard. Uh-oh. See, culture tells us at times that being different is not something to be desired. Once again, it's easier that if, everybody, if everything is uniform, it's easier to do what? Control. And that principle extends not only out there, but it can extend in your family. Come on. Were you one of those siblings? That's, Why can't you be more like your brother? Why can't you be more like so? How many times were those words spoken over you as a child that came to you as a net effect of a curse that says, your uniqueness is defective. Stop it. Oh, my. Good friend of mine growing up. My wife and I just went to my 40th high school reunion. Talk about an out-of-body experience. Even more out-of-body when you get introduced as a member of the clergy. It's like, oh, please that was a real mind bend for a lot of people. But I had this peer and big family. And this young man was right in the middle. And the rest of them were athletes. And, you know, they, they, they fell into the father's business, very mechanically oriented. But the one in the middle, he was the musician. He was the one that... When God set his brain on his axis, he tilted it like this. Because this is what happens with right brain people. Their brains are tilted. 
We don't see things like everybody else. Robert's brain is tilted. What little bit is there, it's tilted. And so, but this young man never fit into his family. His family never got it. They never understood him at all. In my wife's household, my father-in-law, manly man, veterinarian, large animals, guns. Four kids. Two of them were musicians, including the oldest son and the youngest daughter. And I watched her dad just shake his head sometimes, just like, and he was the one that came up with the tilted brain theory for me. He said, they're just not like everybody else. And yet, it took him a moment, but he figured out it's okay. It's not defective. They're just different. They're just real different. And many times we look around, if it doesn't fit the culture in which we find ourselves, then many times we hold it as suspect. Do we not? But consider this for a moment, and I'll close with this. Consider Pentecost for a moment, Acts chapter 2. Let's talk about this. Dwelling in Jerusalem, Jews, devout men from what? Every nation under heaven. And it says that at this sound, and what was the sound? Multiple tongues. Languages that were coming forth that all of these individual nations gathered could do what? They could discern. They could understand God being praised in their language. It says the multitude came together. They were bewildered because each one was hearing them speak in his own language. Listen to me. It was the diversity present at Pentecost that validated the miracle of what was happening. Think about that for a moment. Many times we think about the miracle of what heaven did, how God poured himself out, but it actually took the diversity and the authenticity of all of those folk being there to validate what the miracle really was. Because they could look around and say, that sounds like something I heard before. Yeah, you flunked French in high school. But no, but that sounds like some language. No, that's that language. That's that tribe. That's that dialect. It was actually the nations gathered in that place that validated the miracle at Pentecost. Do you realize it takes that very same thing for God to bring together a bunch of folk and can we move together the bunch of folk just being black folk and white folk? Can we just step off from that discussion for a moment? And can we talk about other distinctions that, are, that, that, that make us who we are in the church? And I'm not talking about just the grace and the miracle that's Grace Covenant Church. I'm talking about the church, capital T, capital C, as represented on the earth as God's people. Some that have and some that don't. Some that look, they don't look anything like us, think like us. Their government's not like us. I mean, so many things that we, we look and say, why can't they be more like? And yet we miss the miracle of what God does when he takes that diversity and he puts it together in a people that now don't have to do something, they want to do it together. 
Let me just tell you, you can create a rule and a law in any organization or organizing of people, and you can say, this is what you'll do or there'll be consequences. But you see, we look at the birth of the church and we find something else happening. They weren't constrained to do what they did. They did it. Why? Because they were celebrating something. Oh, yes, they were celebrating a resurrected God. But there was something that was working as, as to how they looked at one another. But it begins by you accepting your own authenticity, who you are. You ever seen somebody try to be somebody they're not? How embarrassing that is. I mean, drop a white guy in with a bunch of African-American guys for about two months. And he's trying to kind of talk trying to pick it up. You, you know how ugly that is? That's just weird. It's just weird. I mean, do you realize it's not about us trying to morph into kind of, you know, if you, take, if you take everything and kind of morph it all together and blend it down, you get this kind of weird gray, don't you? All of a sudden, what was intended to be technicolor and multicolor, all of a sudden, when you try to melt it all down, it just becomes gray. You can take all the 64 crayons in the box and melt them down. It's not anything you want to color with anymore. And yet God, and I'm not talk, talking about just racing being and, and your complexion now. I'm talking about the distinction of gifting, the distinction of interests, the distinction of people groups, the distinction of family that God has assembled together in this thing, this miracle called the church. It's one of the things that made the gospel so applicable because it took folk that had no status. Women. Children. Folk without. Blessed are they. And what did it do? It elevated that group of people. Without ever having to drag this group down, it elevated this group of people. It brought belonging, family, status without anybody having to change their passport. This is what authenticity is. But it begins by God working something in you that it's okay to be you. Amen? Hear me. Yes, a better version of you. That's called sanctification. Please hear me. This is not some broad stroke over all the weirdness in your life. All the sin that you're calling authenticity. That's not what we're talking about. But we're talking about the freedom to be authentic. Because I believe it starts right there. Pray with me.